0: This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Guess what? Healing Arts Podcast has been nominated for a Coalition of Visionary Resources Award as one of the best spiritual podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting my show and for listening to the program. I would love it if you would vote for the show. And the other nominees I have this year is Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds was nominated as the best book in past life regression. And Journeys Through the Akashic Records was nominated as one of the best self-help books. And so I've got the links below. I would love it if you would take a moment to vote for me. I would be so grateful. And if you complete the screens on the survey, hit the complete button and take a screenshot. You can email me at Shelly at ShellyCare.com. And I will give you a free guided imagery journey that you can enjoy to say thank you for voting for my books and for this Healing Arts podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. I look forward to joining you for season 15, which will be coming up soon. And in the meantime, thanks for your vote. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey, dear one, I hope you're having a great week. So guess what? We're going to revisit my interview with Ancient Aliens star Hugh Newman this week. Hugh and I spoke at an Ancient Mysteries conference a few years ago, and that was a fun interview. I remember I was super um, nervous <laughs> to speak to him also. And I think I thumped something off the desk or I hit myself with a microphone or something. We're getting ready to find out as we revisit this together. But um, he is a really a nice person. He's got some really interesting... Um, books and ideas and everything he has to say is so well researched so i know you're going to enjoy it i hope and as we uh, discuss this with you of course i'm pairing this one with my book crystal skull consciousness because that is also another far out um, topic that i think is very related to some of the things that hugh and i discussed so let's settle in and check it out Hi there, welcome to another episode of Book Talk, where I talk about some of the books that I have in ebook, print, and audible. And so in today's episode, I'm gonna talk about Crystal Skull Consciousness, um, which is a pretty popular book. Um, My take on it, I have a very quick book where I give you a big overview about what I call the crystal skull phenomenon or consciousness, why is this so popular? Um, what do we think about this idea, this Steven Spielbergish idea of these crystal skulls all kind of communing with each other? And then I tell a lot of crazy stories, one of which that I went to the British Museum and I got to hang out with the crystal skull there. I also um, went to a cocktail party with the crystal skull Max, who was living in Houston at the time. I wish you could have heard the video. Cassandra and I were having a big laugh. I was just saying, you know, he's a, he's a really good listener when you're having cocktails with a crystal skull. So, um, and then there's just a lot of, as usual, in my gem healing books, I try to give you, you know, how are you gonna select your crystal skull and what, do, how are you gonna start having a relationship with a skull if this is what you wanna do? And I talk about this one little special skull named Clyde, who is my dear friend, so. Again, it may not be for everybody, but um, I think in terms of things that are out in the general public, it's a very easy read that gives you the broad generalization and overview of the phenomenon. But again, you're going to get some wacky stories that hopefully are entertaining. So that's what it's about. And so I hope you'll check it out, and I hope you have a wonderful day. And I'll see you next time on Book Talk. We'll be right back. Hey friends, have you wanted to access the Akashic Records but had no idea how to do that? Well, guess what? My new book, Journeys Through the Akashic Records, will take you step by step through the process so that you can access other realms of consciousness for your own healing and transformation. This book will show you how to open the door to this wellspring of information, meet with your spirit guides, do present life healing, psychic protection, Go out into the field of possibilities to access your higher soul's purpose. Meet your guides and helpers, your soul group, and so much more. Again, over 50 guided journeys await you as you access the Akashic Records and receive information that is personal to you for your healing and self-transformation. Check out the book now. Just go over to my website, pastlifelady.com. Click on the book link and order today. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I'm super excited because next week is the annual Edgar Casey Foundation Ancient Mysteries Conference. And so today I am joined by megalithomaniac, ancient alien star, Hugh Newman. Hugh, welcome to Healing Arts.
1: Definitely great, great to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, so um, we are all huge fans of your work. Um, and I, I did see the latest episode of Ancient Aliens, which unbelievably is already in season 17. And you were there in episode one in Peru. And I know you've been doing a lot of work studying these um, polygonal rocks and materials that are showing up all over the world. And so I was wondering if you could just start there and tell us about your research. It's amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you mean the you know, polygonal walls and the cyclopean walls? Yeah, they're very interesting. O- obviously, the most famous ones are in places like Sacsayhuumar and Cuzco in Peru. And basically, just people aren't aware what they are. They're like these ridiculously large, very strangely kind of almost puffy, but precision cut stones with irregular joints, And so they look like they're a jigsaw. It's really quite bizarre. The fact that they were doing this with stones, you know, going up to hundreds of tons is pretty, pretty amazing. And so there's this ridiculous high level of sophistication and megalithic technology that was going back, uh, you know, several thousand years in Peru, but they're also found everywhere. They're found in, you know, we've been researching in Italy We've been researching in Greece as um, other places, even like Albania and Japan, um, and even Easter Island has them as well. So it's, it's one of these very strange traditions that it's also, also founded to some degree in Egypt as one well, of some of the older temples there. And even on the fa- facing of two of the pyramids on the Giza Plateau, not the Great Pyramid, but the other two. And so, yeah, you get things like that. And obviously, you know, ancient aliens loves that kind of thing. So that, that, like, they've been covering it quite in depth. But, um, yeah, I actually did a whole uh, lecture kind of project thing on that uh, a few years ago, put it up on YouTube uh, uh, and also at a megalithomania conference because it's such a compelling um, aspect of the ancient mysteries.
0: It is really amazing. I watched your YouTube and I'm going to put a link to your YouTube channel. You've got so much great information out there. You were talking about um, the idea that these um, walls and things you really believe that the Incans did not create those; that those were already something that they discovered.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Uh, basically, well, when they the Inca first turned up in you know, the know fourteen fifteen hundreds, they are quoted as saying that when the Spanish turned up, not, not you know not too long after, that, a couple of hundred years after that, that they were there when they arrived and they just kind of constructed around them. Uh, and tradition states they were built by a giant race, in deep prehistory. And this is what the Inca were telling the Spanish. And so, you know, you've got this super ancient kind of foundation all throughout Peru you've even got it at Machu Picchu which the Inca added to you've got it at um, places like obviously Sacsayhuaman all over Cusco even you know Lake Titicaca area with the pop with the the the, the uh, Chulpa towers which are these circular towers with roofs on which is the same kind of design um, and so yeah they were certainly there before the Inca who they were we don't know probably they were descendants of the people who built tiwanaku and pumapunku down in bolivia um because there's evidence of ancient very ancient high technology there as well
0: absolutely fantastic you just returned from a trip overseas and um, I was on your YouTube channel. Again, I'm going to leave the links. You were filming a tomb of a giant and I know you've written some books with Jim Vieira on that. And so tell us what you uncovered on your latest adventure.
1: Well, we were running uh, it was like a tour really. We were running a tour that got postponed for about a year or two because of COVID and all that. And uh, we've been there. I've been there like three or four times already. And yeah, uh, We're running a tour, but I always go a bit early and stay a bit later so I can actually do a bit of, you know, exploring myself. But one of the things I'm fascinated by is these so-called giant tombs that are found all over Sardinia. There's 800 have been recorded. They're like basically like long barrows, so like megalithic long kind of chambers where you can virtually walk into some of them with this huge forecourt, this sort of frontage, which is curved, with this chamber going back and often there's a big tablet stone at the front with a hole and these are really thin stones forming this forecourt with the chamber going back. You can actually crawl into them um, and there's, if you look at them from above, they look like a bull's head. This is kind of what they're thought to represent, but there's, there's traditions that they were built by these mountainous giants who used to rule Sardinia who came from overseas many thousands of years ago, and they would build these chambers and bury themselves in there kind of thing. This is this is how the story goes. There's also legends of giantesses throwing stones into place in Sardinia. We've got accounts there. We've got two over eight foot skeletons were found uh, near one of these giant's graves in the very northern part of Sardinia, a place called Porto Torres very close to a pyramid there actually called um, Monte Codi, which is, goes back 4,000 to 4,000 BC. And we have got another account from 1901 that talks about a nine-foot skeleton being found in one of these graves. And so this is really strange that you actually have accounts in the historical record of skeletons that large being found in what are called giants' graves uh, or giants' tombs. And they're, they're vary in designs. There's lots of different, they're often oriented to very specific astronomical events. Um, uh, some are perfectly north, some are perfectly south. Most are to the east, sort of northeast, southeast, representing the sunrise at various times a year, and Then certain moon cycles. And they're very sophisticated the way they're built as well. Uh, and they go back to at least 1800 BC, although there's proof now that they, get, they could go back to about a 1,000 years older than that. Um, there's been some evidence that's been coming out, so that they're really strange structures, and they're absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're really beautifully carved stones. They've kind of got three D relief carvings on them, um, and they're just like one of these explorable aspects of uh, the Mediterranean, which uh, you know are, absolutely blows my mind. I can't get enough of them, to be honest with you. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, I wanted to ask, how did you first get so interested in this? Is this something you've done since childhood or what got you into all this?
1: Yeah, I've kind of been interested in um, the more esoteric sort of uh, paranormal, supernatural kind of stuff since I was very young. Uh, I used to subscribe to this quite a well-known magazine called the unexplained magazine which was like the forerunner of the x files and all this kind of stuff um and uh yeah i got fascinated by things like crop circles and earth energies and mysteries in the landscape and it kind of drew me into the megalithic um in britain but then i realized hang on a sec this is this is everywhere around the planet so you just i got a real taste for kind of traveling and exploring and going off you know on my own with my partner JJ just looking around um and haven't stopped since that was like 20 20 years ago or something
0: wow yeah I do um past life regressions and I'm kind of fascinated by this idea that the soul wants to return to places that it's lived before and so I have to ask because I'm so curious when you go to these places are there Is there something within you that feels like, wow, this is familiar. This is a place I've been in the past. Or I don't know. I was just wondering if you've ever had that feeling before.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You get that, get that quite a lot. I get this quite strange thing where you kind of dreamt moments in a dream and then months later you visit a place and that's that moment you dreamt, you know, months beforehand. So, yeah, I do get that quite a bit. We've had some very strange experiences at specific sites where very odd things have happened um you know if i filmed balls of light going up pyramids and things like that um we've had very strange paranormal activity uh yeah so yeah so it's, it, i kind of i'm quite careful when i travel and go to some of these places because they're like seriously kind of rich in spirit and kind of a you know ancestors possibly aliens who knows you know there's something strange going on I mean it, we, there's this place called Saturnia that we visited in Italy and this was like back in 2018 and this is like a super ancient site It's said to be a burial ground of giants all these dolmens chambers and things like that we arrived there and I sensed something before we got there like half a mile away I said this is this. something's wrong you know this is should, you know, I don't even know if we should go here. I felt something in my solar plexus go. Mm, we need to like be careful and like. So I, was, I sort of, you know, asked the permission of the spirit guardians, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner and I just went straight in there after we did that, and suddenly, you know, we were hearing voices seeing things this tree snapped in half on a dolman, um, all sorts of stuff was going on it's like some kind of weird portal was kind of occurring and something like that so that's just one example but there's been a few others like that as well
0: wow that is amazing so do you have a favorite place of all the places that you've been
1: no no i don't no <laughs> i can't it's too many yeah it's too, they're all too good they're all my favorite. How about that? It's a bit, yeah, bit of zen.
0: The one at the moment <laughs> is always the favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where you're at right now, that's it. That's it.
0: The other one I wanted to ask you about um, is Göbleki Tepe, and the idea the Turkish government just said that they are finding about 11 more sites around that area. And what do you think about that area, and who might have inhabited it, and and what are you making of these new sites that are being unveiled? Yeah. Recently? Well
1: they haven't technically revealed which sites these are uh so i've been talking about this with andrew collins actually about you know trying to work out what sites that we think we know which ones they mean they're probably talking about Karahan tepe they're probably talking about nabali churi they're talking about uh there's a few other tepe sites that have been discovered artifacts have been found there um but you know, we're waiting to hear really exactly what the, what they mean. But the, what's really interesting is that Carahan Tepe is being excavated right now. Me and Andrew have been there, Andrew Collins, a few times, you know, last time in 2018, before it was excavated, where we just had the tops of these T pillars sticking out of the ground, uh, sticking out this sort of artificial mound. Um, and we've got to know yeah, we've got to know the family we have lunch and tea there and things like this it's quite funny um but now they're excavating it. they've got this university coming in and they're finding all sorts of stuff there which could be older than Göbekli tepe according to them so that's the case that's really intriguing um but yeah there's potentially 11 or 12 sites but we know there are that many there are technically about 20 that we know of that have been discovered so it could be any ones of those they're kind of trying to make i think they're trying to kind of promote it. And, get people tantalized by it a little bit um but having been to with tepe carahan tepe and seen the museum there and a few other sites it's it's a really interesting place and you know i believe it was the the location as andrew said he, he talks about this that it's the location of the watchers the early kind of anunnaki or the kind of uh shining ones it's their territory and if and they were master stonemasons and agriculturists and things like this and shamans so they would have if anyone made it, they're the ones who made it, and it was a, it was kind of like um, a temple, you know, a memory, and they kind of they they kind of repaired it when they finished using it after a thousand years of use, and hid it, you know, but knew that in the future it would be found again, and it would reveal all this stuff, and so um yeah, so that's, that's who I think did it, and I think that you know there's going to be a few revelations as they keep digging and finding more at these sites, I'm sure.
0: Speaking of that, it is so interesting. I, I think about consciousness and how, you know, there has to be a certain number of people in consciousness to make really big shifts. And even 20 years ago, we were just not finding as many discoveries as we are now. I mean, one is the technology, but I, I also have always believed that until there's enough people in consciousness who can even accept the reality of some of the things that you and I are talking about, then they won't even be uncovered. I mean, all of the amazing things they're finding everywhere you go in the mediterranean here's a sunken city they just um un- they're unearthing canopsis and just all of these others um you mentioned corral in peru and some of these other sites so do you think this is a function of consciousness combined with technology and what is it really saying like are are we really getting ready to receive an enlightenment of some kind? And do you think the aliens will come and, you know, whatever. I I just want to know what your thoughts are on this kind of stuff,
1: I guess. It's kind of a quite wide open question. Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: not really a question, I guess. I just want to know your thoughts about why, why are we finding all this? Well,
1: I think it's just a case of like, you know, I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of the seabed. You know, there's like, you know, for instance, off the coast of Sicily, they found this 40 foot tall megalith, uh, which is like, 150 feet down, and so what on earth? How did that get there? What was there? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's new dating has been uh, uncovered of places like the temples of Malta. They're now being pushed back to very close to the edge of the, the end of the Gebekli Tepe era. Um and you know you know, and that's that's kind of starts startling a few people. There's lots of stuff around where I live near Stonehenge, which is a uh, all getting pushed back the dates um, and everything like this you've got places like blickmead you've got like the durrington shafts and things like that and so yeah and uh, obviously with the lidar loads more is being found in places like mexico and guatemala as well so there's endless amount of possibilities and i think there's so many layers of eras and epochs that we're just starting to penetrate as we go deeper into the earth and deeper under the sea that right. I think we're always going to keep finding stuff. You know, I think there's like major cataclysms took out various places and um, and that's going to cover things up very deeply. Things were deliberately buried like the Beverly Tepe. Um, and it just takes time and effort just to uncover a site. You know, you might, you know, see a stone sticking out of the ground. There might be a whole city under there for, you know, you know, because it gets covered up. So I think, yeah, I mean, we're in a, we're in a very interesting time of like revelation when it comes to this. So let's just wait and see
0: absolutely one of the things i was surprised to learn um after reading your books is the idea that there's over a thousand stone circles in great britain yeah i don't think people widely are uh, maybe they are now maybe they're getting there but i didn't think people were widely aware of that because stonehenge is just so popular it seems like it's it's the one everybody wants to talk about
1: well stonehenge is like utterly unique there's nothing quite like it it's um it's got you know it's precision designed engineered it's got lintels all the way around all perfectly carved stones with blue stones from wales in there it. it's got this entire landscape temple around it um all the other stone circles are kind of rough-hewn stones pretty much they're not precision engineered like Stonehenge. stonehenge is unique utterly unique avebury is much much bigger encompasses an entire small village um stretches for several miles yeah no one's really Not many people have even heard of that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I've done done my little book on stone circles, so I kind of explored as many as possible. But some are tiny. Some are like 10 feet wide with two-foot-tall stones, so don't get too excited about (laughs) some of them. But some are remarkable, like Stanton Drew, which is like a huge triple stone circle. which stretches over two or three acres um, and has outlier stones going off for half a mile away and things like that. And you know, there's so many and they're all connected up. That's that's what people don't realize. There's a kind of there's a national kind of grid of these circles, and they're all connected. They're all kind of very specifically placed at specific latitudes to observe, make certain astronomical observations from that only work at certain latitudes. And so that's why you get such precision stuff going on way up north in Orkney and on the outer Hebrides at Calaniche. And you get it right down south in Cornwall and down in Brittany as well in France, where you've got this sort of uh, different latitudes where you can make different observations from. And like, actually, you can actually do, if you do it correctly, you can measure the entire earth by doing that. And so this is what I think that it was part of the process of what they were doing, but they're also more local, you know, they were like harnessing the energies. They were like sort of, you know, trapping the natural telluric currents and using that for agriculture, consciousness, expansion, uh, fertility and ritual and things like this. So there's, there's many different aspects to these stone circles and they were kind of multi purpose technologies.
0: Absolutely. One of the other things I recently heard was about Atlet Yam off the coast of Israel, which is the sunken city, that the stone circle there and the people who lived there could have been some of the earliest farmers. And then when they traced the DNA evidence of the people who lived in Great Britain, they're starting to think that these people actually came from the Mediterranean and could have been those same stone builders that that was the first one and then they went on to make all of the other ones that are scattered yeah. around britain so
1: yeah adelaide yim yeah, that's like it's very interesting site it's like a semicircle of stones it's built around a natural spring as well what's also interesting there is that they have cut marks in the stones like sort of little Pocket cut marks—you get those at Göbekli Tepe as well, hundreds of them. You get them in Britain as well. You get them in um, Sardinia. You get them everywhere. They're they're kind of it's like something they were doing. They were carving these little cupules out of the stone. I think to tune the stones. It was like a tuning technique, personally. So the fact you were getting that at Göbekli Tepe, then at the yem which I believe is about six, 000, seven thousand years old it's completely under the water isn't it it's like 40 feet under the water and right. also all, all over the bible lands you have stone circles uh, there as well And they're called gigal and there's a certain name for them they're mentioned twice in the bible as well even you know so that they're, they're quite well known um in that area and uh, and they're often connected with giants in the area much like they are in britain as well um but yeah there's dna evidence connecting not just the mediterranean but the bible lands and certain parts of anatolia or turkey with influxes of kind of you know movements and migrations heading towards europe and you see this trail of megalithic construction almost like kind of moving you know like that in that direction um yeah, so that's, uh, that's certainly the case. There's like an influence coming from the area, but now they're finding extremely ancient stuff here as well, and in Ireland and Scotland. So, what was going on? It's, like, it's almost like it emerged all at once. But you know, we have to admit that Begley Tepe was the genesis of all this kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's interesting when you think about migration of peoples, because everybody's talking about all of the great civilizations, and they died out. But now they're saying that even the Mayans, um, there's some evidence that suggests they built some canoes and that they may have landed on the coast of Florida and into Georgia. They're finding sites, they think, that were are Mayan ruins if somebody could just get in there and excavate them. So, you know, what do you think about the migrations of people? Don't you think that sometimes they don't disappear they actually migrate just like
1: yeah for sure any people would yeah no yeah totally i mean that's, 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 to me that's a no-brainer of course they were kind of using boats they were using the sea sea uh, sea lanes you know to get around the world they were hugging the coast as they sailed around uh, i mean if you look at the you know the people like Thor her or and, and various other researchers we've got to be mentioning in our new book as well actually about this idea that even from north america there's a really simple if you just jump on a raft in a specific spot off the east coast of North America, you'll end up in Ireland. That's just what will happen. You know, uh, as long as you've got enough food and supplies, you can actually do that. Going the other way is harder. It's actually really hard to go from Britain to America. So but going the other way, I mean, there's actually Native Americans turned up in Ireland in in the 1500s who met Christopher Columbus before he went to America um no one even knows this even happened but we've got we know it did and they were really tall they were like giants weirdly and we mentioned that in our new book um but there's you know so yeah i think that's just a you know inevitable you know if you're going to travel number one you're safe if you're off the coast you're not going to get attacked if, if you're going over land you, you're easy targets you're easy prey so you can easily hug the coast you've got you can fish for food you can come on safe bits of land whenever you want and the whole world would have been like this i'm sure
0: yeah, I think there's been a lot of speculation that maybe these people got sucked up by a spaceship, but now it seems there's more evidence that maybe, you know, like you said, they maybe got <laughs> well, in a little canoe and went somewhere.
1: <laughs> they might have done, but they might have also got sucked up by a spaceship. Well, they
0: so might.
1: I mean, yeah. yeah, who knows, you know, it's quite, it's quite plausible if you look at like ancient aliens and all the weird kind of hieroglyphs that kind of show that kind of thing around yeah. the world. So it's pretty strange.
0: Yeah. Chaco. Canyon. I grew up in New Mexico, USA. So Chaco Canyon and all the figures there and now they're saying the Anasazi also, they'll probably migrated out of that area, but it is kind of interesting. Well, that so I angry. guess I have to ask this. So do you believe that getting back to our first um, talking point about the polygonal walls, do you believe that these were crafted by extraterrestrials or some higher intelligence and moved there? Or do you think it was just sound frequencies or how do you really think they i think it's, all I, don't, this stuff.
1: I mean i've got to be honest with you when you first go to these sites i mean anyone who's been there will probably say this it feels like when i went to egypt it was the same when i went to peru it's like yes. oh my god it's like who could have done that i mean the beckley it as well it's like it's so sophisticated it's so big it's like what mind could have come up with that like you know even today you wouldn't be smart enough and artistic enough and abstract enough to come up with that so it's easy to assume it's aliens because it's so challenging and we don't we can't recreate it that's what's that's what's odd so this is why it's easy to go down that route and and there might be some reality to that i I can't dismiss that because you know uh, you know I'm, i'm a regular on ancient aliens number one but secondly it's kind of like you know, we can't recreate the technology. So who could have done it? And why did they create such a weird, abstract, almost surrealist kind of designs? I mean, what would would a bunch of people just living in Peru, 5,000 years, just come up with that? There must have been absolute kind of geniuses you know who are like taking loads of psychotropics to kind of enhance their consciousness or something just to come up with that so you, we have to kind of you know keep keep that in mind but you look at um, in Peru there's like there is this, there is this strange there's two things there's things that grow in the jungle there are certain kind of strange plants that can melt stone to some degree there's also a um, a kind of very toxic red, kind of um kind of nasty stuff that comes up out of the ground which which is like full of chemicals and that can burn through rock as well so it may have been a combination of utilizing that technology with sound technology to actually create it um and also there's legends that state giants were doing it as well because in in most traditions around the world the giants were the master builders they were the master masons they were the metal workers they were like they they had like workshops underground. They knew how to manipulate stone, and the, their secrets were stayed with them in their elite groups only, and uh, and all the traditions state was those who built all these sites virtually everywhere on the planet. So it may be right. more like that. It might be that kind of thing we're looking at.
0: Yeah, there's still that idea that that consciousness, like you said, everything from the ziggurat of Mesopotamia to the Great Pyramids. And we've got Teotihuacan and all these other pyramids showing up. But yet these people couldn't have possibly communicated with each other or or could they? I don't know. I mean,
1: they must have have
0: to start looking at it.
1: I mean, they must have done. I mean, it's like you can't you can't just come up with such abstract technologies in different parts of the world, independ- independently, it's too strange, it's too specific, you know, it's like, it's a, you know, so there must have been either literally physical travel and communication, or there may have been this kind of, who, who knows, they might have been the internet of some sort, you know, they might have been communicating using this technology, may have been part of an internet that the ancients were using, or they were u- utilising their minds to, like, communicate telepathically and things like this i mean there's there's a lot of possibilities we just don't know we just don't know what was really going on so and we see how advanced they were we see the level of um shamanism and like magic that they seem to employ um it's really to a level we're not we're not adepts of anymore
0: yeah the other thing that was so interesting that they've also just uncovered um is the idea that the astrological alignment of like teotihuacan is in alignment with the acropolis in greece and a couple others but not exactly with the pyramids and so now they're speculating that that they might have occurred at a different period of time when the poles were aligned just slightly different there's a book that's come out about that and it's just so fascinating you know as you've said i mean how are they going to know any kind of astrological alignment in in i I saw your research about these polygonal walls that even they are measurements of some kind that yeah. have to do with the stars i mean this just isn't even possible
1: it is i mean you think about it though they got these people they didn't have distractions like we have you know we don't have, they don't have tv and jobs and things like that you know you know they didn't have to work you know it was everything was probably provided for them for them by all the kind of you know the, the cultural kind of groups and so the elites probably had plenty of time on their hands and they were experimenting. And I think that that might be what it was like, because they, there was, you know, there was obviously in in Britain, we have the Druids who maintained the, these traditions of uh, the earlier megalith orders, but they passed it all down orally. It was all like word of mouth. It was all very specific codes within Bardic kind of poetry and stories. And so, also ingrained this was part of the building of the sites it would be like almost like memory code for this information and so also they were working very specifically with the higher level of communication and language which is geometry mathematics and uh, metrology which is the study of ancient measure because if you look at places like Stonehenge, for instance, they incorporate about six different global measurement systems into one site, but you have to know about them to decode the information that's actually within that. Same with the pyramids, there's very specific measurement system. And this is really the ultimate, timeless, universal language. Uh, again, mathematics combined with geometry, combined with uh, orientation, combined with spatial alignments uh, and distance between sites and things like this Um, and uh, also locating and specific gps coordinates because they were clearly measuring the earth whilst they were creating this this system around the planet and so you know this was a high level scientific group who were doing this and i think it's beyond what we think you know we don't think like this anymore we don't we don't get taught mathematics and geometry like that at school anymore. So we don't have that in our culture. They did. And it was all very much part of their upbringing, part of their design, part of their culture. And, and, uh, numbers were the key to everything. It wasn't language because language gets lost, gets forgotten. So why well, they didn't even write things down hardly. They wanted to, to uh, communicate it orally, you know, through different, uh, they could pass that down through multiple generations until they get wiped out unfortunately by the romans but that's just the way it was but um, but much of the information was encoded into these sites i think that's 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 what's important and we can decode it now
0: do you think that decoding these things is going to assist us and hopefully um, advancing ourselves it does it way? does that
1: automatically because you know there such a high level of consciousness group who created these sites they put all that into them you know but they knew that only people who could reach that level of consciousness would be able to see it and understand it and so but it's they're always there so it's always challenging people just by being there and so they build it out of big massive stones and earth and things that can't be moved so it's almost taunting people with its intellect you know over thousands of years and so it's it's challenging people just by its presence you know and i think that's that's what this is all about it's like they were they were really compassionate these builders they were like doing it for the future generations realizing we need to maintain this level of higher consciousness otherwise we're going to go into the dark realm like kind of written now it feels like you know when you, and, and this is like um a way to kind of remind ourselves of this higher level and i think that's that's what these sites were partly for That's why they're so compelling to us and that's why it's it's, it's a challenge to try and understand them because they were created with such intellect and uh you know this this, this level of um uh, consciousness
0: absolutely yeah i agree it's it's like any good art it's challenging you just by being which is good and we definitely yeah, need it right now
1: that's the other thing is art and i think i think that 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 challenges because you look at you look at like like i said you look at the Tepe, you look at the polygon walls you look at you know the designs on you know the kind of obelisk things like that it's, it's really artistic it's abstract you can't quite get you can't doesn't you doesn't you can't quite get your head around. It. You have to, it challenges you, and I think that's really important. But then it takes you into, forces you to see it and try and understand it. And then you find all these other things that I've been talking about within this. And this is where the teach the kind of almost like you're getting taught by these megaliths. I think that's uh, I think that's a really important aspect that's overlooked.
0: Absolutely, I think it's also um, because of the way I think is that it it is making that soul connection for those who maybe. We're here back in those earlier times because if we can tap into the memories that we've had when we were here in other incarnations, maybe we can bring some of that forward to yeah. assist some of the challenges that we're having now.
1: Yeah, there is that, isn't there? Because it's like you know, with like these sites, like well, I think I think Edgar Casey was into this the whole idea of crystal technology, and like well, these sites, are like a lot of this type of stone is like high percentage of quartz and things like that, which right. records information and i'm sure they were recording into the sites and intent putting intentions into these sites and doing magic and ritual to like almost like kind of you know put it you know put that element into the sites themselves so future generations could go there and kind of sorry could go there and kind of receive that from their ancestors you know from in later times that's why these were often like ancestral sites and so there's like a combination of like Applying, I think they were like high-level magicians, sorcerers, um, yeah. witches, wizards, all this kind of stuff. I, I, I think they were that as well. And I, but I think they were kind of were able to kind of have a kind of connection with the future, you know, and like and and with the past, and actually kind of incorporate that into these sites. And this is why these are timeless, immortal sites. They last forever. They're yeah. designed to last forever. They're almost impossible to destroy. And so they become. Um, you know, like an important part of everyone's life. And they, you know, we just, we come and go, the pyramids don't, they're they're there forever.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of Edgar Cayce, um, I had written a book about the Egyptian readings within the Cayce material. And Cayce had claimed that he was um, an Egyptian high priest, but that he um, joined a group who were near Mount Ararat which is where they believe Noah's Ark landed and that they then made the exodus down into Egypt in 10,500 BC, which back in the old days, you know, when Edgar Casey was alive, people thought that was completely nuts. And now look at where we're at. I mean, go black yeah. Tepe is exactly. so much yeah. older than even that. And so this thing know. is not only plausible, it's probable.
1: I agree. Yeah. I mean, you've got dating now in Egypt. I mean, some of the traditions of Egypt, you know, before even the 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 pharaonic age, before the followers of Horus, there was a time of the gods that go back what 35 forty thousand years. And so, you know, you got that combined with what's being found at places like the Bekli Tepe. It's a whole kind of smoking gun kind of reality check that we need, you know, we need to change the way we see the past now because I think, you know, the stuff that Casey and you know, other other, prophet, other prophets really have come up with, there's, there's so many little things that just have just happened, it's like some, a lot of it's happening now it seems um, you know, you have to kind of look at this kind of carefully <laughs> sort of take it as a sort of, you know, there's, there could be something in this and this is why I think as well, you know, it's, it's always worth looking at Uh, traditions and legends and folklore very very seriously and like taking information from that because you know how to read it you know there's different kind of levels of information within one story for those that are initiated into different levels of understanding and so one story might sound just like a story to someone but someone who understands this gives you this all these different levels of information and knowledge and wisdom that other people who haven't been through that initiation won't understand so that there's like you know this folklore is worth retaining and maintaining you know even even modern times
0: yeah because like you said i mean these people had a lot of concerns uh namely staying of sur- alive you know surviving getting food so the fact that they would take the time to create these myths and legends um they don't do those things by accident there's got to be a reason
1: yeah yeah for sure i mean it's like uh you know most places didn't have the written the written language, so it's like uh, uh, the traditions, the stories were were it. This is the only way we're going to record everything, and I think that was why they were so important. Um, and they need to be cherished, really, you know, and remembered and not forgotten, because you know, modern times, you know, you know, religions try and destroy, you know, the ancient kind of pagan knowledge, but actually, they're complete morons actually they shouldn't be doing that they should just leave it alone and respect it and like nurture that because there's stuff in there they're never going to understand um from their narrow-minded perspective so it's worth it's worth keeping all that in
0: mind yeah yeah i just got back from greece this summer and um i went to uh knosos on crete Ah, nice. oh, i think i had a past life there i just found out recently though that they said that the man who excavated the Nosos Minoan palace um, really didn't value a lot of the everyday goods of the more common people. And a lot of that archeological evidence was destroyed, you know, in favor of let's, let's just get the stuff that the rulers had because we don't care about the common people. Probably. So even, yeah. You know, the yeah. respect wasn't there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're actually heading over there in a couple of weeks, funnily enough to Crete. So uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it does happen like that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, so much stuff gets stolen and sold off and disappeared. All the, probably a lot of the good stuff is in private collections. We um, may never see it, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, and then you've got all the Egyptian tomb robbers, wherever they put that stuff, who knows?
1: Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, fortunately, there's an abundance of <laughs> stuff yes, to find. Exactly, stuff. lots we're of not stuff gonna, out there. We're not don't to really go too short on that you know
0: all right well Hugh it's been a complete joy to connect with you everybody is looking forward to seeing you at the ancient mysteries conference in October and just wishing you tons of continued success on ancient aliens your books your website your youtube channel is incredible we'll have all the links to your books and everything below and so right. let us know your website address where people can reach you
1: Yes, yeah, just uh, megalithomania.co.uk. Uh, I just want to mention this because this is what I'm going to be presenting at the actual uh, – because I know Jim Vieira is going to be physically yes. at the conference. I'm, I'm coming in. I'm Zooming in. This is the new book. This is a draft copy, The Giants of Stonehenge in Ancient Britain. Uh, it's got this, you know, not for resale thing on it, but actually that's going to be available at the conference. There's also this one I've just – come out with as well called geomancy and this uh this is the, this is co-authored with several other authors um, um basically it's got one of my earlier earth grids books in it with updated with a few other books looking at all the geomantic aspects of uh you know ancient sites and things like that so there's a few new things that and i'm going to be covering both of these both of these subjects in my lecture at the conference so i look forward to that
0: fascinating fascinating and yes friends guess what The in-person portion of the conference, if you wanted to go, is sold out, but you can watch this whole conference online. You can stream this from the privacy of your own home and check out all of the amazing speakers. Hugh, of course, is going to be there. Jim Vieira, his co-author, John Van Auken, Scott Creighton, and many more. And I will be there as well. And we want you to come and beam in and check this out coming up on October 7th through the 10th. So check it out. And Hugh, blessings to you. Continued success in all you do.
1: Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank See you. See you later.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So did you beam off with a crystal skull during the program? Did you run around with giants or other strange phenomenon? I certainly hope you enjoyed our time together, my friend. I hope you're doing well. And I will be so excited to catch up with you again. On the next episode of Healing Arts. Guess what? Healing Arts Podcast has been nominated for a Coalition of Visionary Resources Award as one of the best spiritual podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting my show and for listening to the program. I would love it if you would vote for the show. And the other nominees I have this year is Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds was nominated as the best book in past life regression. And Journeys Through the Akashic Records was nominated as one of the best self-help books. And so I've got the links below. I would love it if you would take a moment to vote for me. I would be so grateful. And if you complete the screens on the survey, hit the complete button and take a screenshot, you can email me at Shelly at ShellyCare.com. And I will give you a free guided imagery journey that you can enjoy to say thank you for voting for my books and for this Healing Arts podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. I look forward to joining you for season 15, which will be coming up soon. And in the meantime, thanks for your vote. friends would you like to heal your ancestors to heal your life well you can do just that with my book by the same name that will teach you my genealogical regression process so that you can send love and light to your ancestors and by learning a few simple techniques you will begin to feel the benefits of that healing resonating through yourself and your entire family past present and future check out my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life, The Transformative Power of Genealogical Regression, today. Just go to pastlifelady.com, click on the book link, and check it out. Thank you so much.